So let's end the epic conclusion of the book of Colossians. If you've been with us, you know that Colossians is a letter and this is the end of Paul's letter. Let me pray for us and we will dive in. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful that every part of it has been breathed out by you. That every part of it, even the end of a letter, is profitable for our teaching, for our encouragement, for our reproof, that you would make us better. So we pray nothing less that you would do that this morning, that by your spirit, you would use this word to further conform us into the image of son and show us Jesus. We thank you for the gift of community, of brotherhood, that you work in and through friendship. We pray that you would also do that among our groups this morning. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, letter writing, I think, is a lost art. I don't know how many of you still write letters or have a habit of writing letters. I'm not a big letter writer myself, but I do write a letter almost every time that I teach the Tuesday morning men's Bible study. I write it to my three daughters. You see, if when I come and teach Tuesday morning, I leave the house way before they ever get up. And so the night before, what I typically do is I get out a piece of scratch paper and I just jot down a letter to them that they can read over breakfast when they wake up. Uh, encouraging them, telling them how much I love them, that I miss them. I'm typically the one that puts them to bed at night. And if Tuesday morning lines up the way it did this week, well, I missed bedtime last night too, such as the work of a pastor, uh, spending time with our elders at session meeting last night. And so I actually haven't seen my girls since yesterday about 3 p.m. So I write them a letter to tell them I miss them, to tell them I love them, to tell them I want them to be nice to their mommy <laughs> this morning as she takes them to school. Letter writing is a lost art. I wanna read you a letter that was written about 80 years ago around this time, okay? 80 years ago around this time, this is the end of the letter. His name is Paul too, by the way. He's not the apostle. His name is Paul Spangler. Paul Spangler wrote this. He said, don't quote me, but this is the real dope. We have just three battleships that can fight now. The Arizona and the West Virginia are shambles. The Oklahoma is belly up and I doubt she'll ever be of further use. And so it will be a full year. The California is sitting on the bottom but is still upright and may be salvaged. The Nevada is aground just across from the hospital and they hope to float her this week, but it will be a year before she can be fighting again. The Utah, the Utah is a total wreck, but she was not used except for training anyway. I think they thought she was a carrier as she was tied up at the carrier's berth, but they certainly gave her plenty. Four cruisers are badly damaged, three destroyers are gone. I think people should know the truth. Then they would be roused to the necessary pitch to bring this thing to a successful conclusion. It's not gonna be an easy job in my opinion. I only hope the country will now take off their coats and go to work. We have the ability and skill but it's going to mean many sacrifices for all and a long, hard pull. What we need is planes, carriers, and subs, thousands of them. I hope this note gets through the route I have chosen. It certainly would not be the regular channels. We all send our love and best wishes. We wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. 
and remember Pearl Harbor. It's Paul Spangler, Lieutenant Commander, Portland, Oregon. He was a surgeon. The part I didn't read is him recounting all of the operations he had done in the last week. Countless surgeries, sewing up many, only so that they could die with dignity. Today is December the 7th, 80 years ago, Pearl Harbor was attacked. And you can go and read countless letters from soldiers who were there. Countless letters of people writing to their loved ones, hoping that it would reach a soldier that they knew was there, only to have those letters returned because they never reached them. We've lost the art of writing letters, and as we read a letter, the letter to the Colossians, and we read the end, it's easy for us to glaze over the end and think, well, this is just kind of how Paul's landing the plane. As we read the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians, he's going to mention a lot of people. It's easy to glaze over those people and think that they don't have any, any worth, any matter to us 2,000 years later. But as we read the last verse, and it's the last verse I want to focus on with you this morning for a few brief minutes, I want you to think about how you might end a letter. That after everything that you might say in a particular letter, that the last parting words, that final sentence is the thing that you want to leave with the people you're writing to. You think about Lieutenant Commander Paul Spangler's letter, recounting all of the operations, all of the surgeries, all of the fleet that has now been decimated, and what is the last thing that he wants his hunting buddies back in Oregon to hear? What does he say? Remember Pearl Harbor. Here's how Paul ends the book of Colossians. This is Colossians 4, chap chapter 4. This is verse 18. Paul says this, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul ends his letters much in the same way and as you were with us at the very beginning, we talked about how he also began his letters in much the same way. As Paul ends his letters to the various churches that he wrote to, whether it was Ephesus or here in Colossae, three common things you typically see in his ending. You see a signature. He signs it. He wants his hearers to understand he was the one who penned the letter. The second thing he does is he he gives a prayer request. He not only writes for encouragement, but he's asking for the prayers of the saints. And third, he gives a blessing. If you worship here at PCPC, we give a blessing every single Sunday at the end of our worship services. It's called a benediction. We see a benediction here. And with these three things this morning, what I want you to understand is Paul is ending this letter with great intentionality. And the first thing he wants us to understand with his signature is that his message can be trusted. His message can be trusted. I want you to look with me again. Notice how he ends verse 18. He says, I, Paul, notice what he says, I write this greeting with my own hand. I want you this morning to imagine the apostle Paul actually sitting down to write this letter that we've been studying for an entire semester together. In the same way that Paul Spangler, sitting down, I wonder what that was like for him, where, where, where he, in between surgeries, maybe stole away some time 
to write to his hunting buddies back in Oregon. What emotions must have been going through his heart and mind as he took the time to write home. Paul is writing this from prison. What great lengths did Paul go to to sit down and write a letter to a church that he'd never been to, writing from prison, and to let them know, I am writing this with my own hand. How does that change the way that you think about the book of Colossians? This is not just some theologian, some professor, some guy who's like, you know, I I think I just want to write some theology today. No, Paul is going to great lengths to write to the Colossian church from prison, and he's letting them know you can trust this. I'm writing it with my own hand. We see the same kind of language in many of his other letters, as I've mentioned before. He ends his letters in much the same way. You can call this an apostolic signature. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, an eyewitness to Jesus on the road to Damascus, is letting his hearers know that this letter has authority. It has weight. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 21, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Galatians 6, verse 11, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. 2 Thessalonians 3, 17, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It's the way I write. So it's not unusual for Paul to end his letter this way to say I'm writing with my hand. What is unusual is that Paul was writing from prison. Imagine Paul, the apostle, writing from prison. And we see something of that here. Now, maybe it's an inference, but I want you to notice, again, uh, just for comparison's sake. Again, 1 Corinthians 16, 21. This is how he ends, 1 Corinthians. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now compare that to the end of Colossians, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. What's the difference? Notice how short, how abrupt Paul ends the book of Colossians. Why would that be? For the same reason, so many letters from Pearl Harbor are abrupt in the way that they end. Paul was in prison. He didn't have much time. And if he didn't have much time, everything in the book of Colossians, he wrote with great intentionality. And he's letting his hearers know it can be trusted. I wrote it with my own hand. Here's my question for you this morning. Do you trust this? My second question for you is why? What's so amazing, I think, about this, God's word, is also the same thing that I think is so amazing about Christmas, what we celebrate during Advent. It's one of the reasons why I love, actually, that we are doing this study in the sanctuary. Normally, wouldn't be in here, but this morning, you're forced to look at all of this. It's, it's a reminder of the season that we are in a season that we celebrate the incarnation of God. What the Apostle John says is the word made flesh 
capital W, Jesus as the word, taking on flesh to dwell among us. In the same way, the sovereign God of the universe collided with human beings, human beings like the Apostle Paul, and he used them to write his word, not only to the Colossian church, but to you and I 2,000 years later. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that the word of God is profitable for us. That is God-breathed. Do you trust it? And as you think both about two things, I think, about God, the sovereign God recording his word for you, but also this human being named Paul, an ordinary man just like you and I, who if he were here today, say, he would say, I am much worse than you. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. If he were here today, he would say, whatever is in your past, my past is much worse. I promise he would. It's whatever guilt, whatever shame that you are bringing into this Bible study this morning, his guilt and his shame that he's bringing with him is much bigger. He was a murderer of Christians. And yet God redeemed him and used him to record his very word. Do you trust this? We can trust this because God used an ordinary man named Paul to give us his sovereign word. And as we have been working our way through it this semester, how much has God used this letter in your life? I know he's used it in mine. How incredible is that? That his word really is living and active. This is not a dead letter. It's much different than going back and reading letters written from Pearl Harbor. Though those can inspire us, this can change us. And it's trustworthy. Paul says he wrote it with his own hand. Second, Paul gives a prayer request. And with that prayer request, we see that his passion, his zeal for the gospel is genuine. And we've seen that throughout the letter to the Colossians. His focus on why the gospel matters. If you've been with us, we've talked about how the Colossian church had been infiltrated by its culture around it that they had become pluralistic in their thinking, the influence of kind of a warped Judaism and the pluralistic culture around them. They had a low view of Jesus. The gospel was at stake. And so Paul had to write to them to encourage them, to give them a big view of Jesus and the importance of the gospel. This is Paul's prayer request in verse 18. Notice what he says. Remember my chains. Remember my chains. Now, that's a little bit different than Paul Spangler's request to remember Pearl Harbor. My guess is Lieutenant Commander Spangler wants us to remember Pearl Harbor, to never forget the men who died. I think in some ways you see that here, but when Paul says remember, what he's asking for is remember me in prayer. Because he's in prison. He's saying pray for me. Remember that I am in prison. Remember my chains and pray for me. And we see this call to prayer throughout um, his letters, particularly in the way he ends, always asking for prayer. Uh, we see this in 1 Thessalonians 1.3. 
saying, remember before our God and Father your work and faith and labor of love and steadfast of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, equating that eye of remembrance with prayer. And here we see that Paul is saying, remember my chains. Earlier in Colossians 4, we looked at him talking about those chains. Again, by way of reminder, Colossians 4 verse 2, Paul wrote, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison. Now notice again what Paul asked for in prayer early in Colossians 4. What did he pray for? Did he pray necessarily to get out or to be released? Now what he prayed for was that while he was in prison, God would open a door for the word. Now do you notice the play on words? (laughs) Don't open my prison cell door, open a door for the word. Use my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. What do your prayers look like? I know what mine look like. How often they are shallow. How often they are self-serving. I know in my bones that if I were in Paul's shoes in prison, I don't know how quick I would be to pray that God would open a door for the gospel. (laughs) I would be praying, God, just open my door. (laughs) I want to get out. Paul's passion is genuine. It is focused. He is single-minded. He knows what's at stake And he wants to instill in us that same passion. We see this again elsewhere in his letters. 1 Corinthians 15, 32, Paul wrote, What do I gain if I, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, what's the point? If the resurrection isn't true, if all of this, the incarnation isn't true, then let's just eat and drink, tomorrow we die. But if this is true, Paul says, then everything changes and his imprisonment is worth it. Again, one more, uh, 2 Corinthians 1 verse eight, Paul says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. We have looked at how Paul faced all kinds of hardship. How early in the book of Colossians, Paul said that he wanted to share in Christ's afflictions, to fill up what is lacking. We wrestled with those words. What is he talking about? What does he mean? That for the apostle Paul to share in the sufferings of Christ was a blessing, not just a burden. What does it look like for you? Paul says, remember my chains. What has enslaved you this morning? What has you in chains? What does it look like for you to pray, to even ask others to pray? The Lord might use those chains for his glory and for your redemption. The third and final thing we see here in the end of Paul's letter 
is in the same way that, again, he ends many of his letters, it's with a benediction, with a blessing. These are his parting words, the last thing that he wants the Colossian church to hear. And he says, grace be with you. In the same way, in the beginning of the letter, we looked at the way he started. It'd be easy to just glaze over these words and think, well, Paul's just, it's a way of saying goodbye. Uh, This is just kind of a trite phrase, a way that you might say goodbye to anyone. But no, each one of these words matter. Grace be with you. I wrote these same words to my daughters this morning. Grace be with you. That today as they go to school, that grace would be with them. That today as they um, right now get in the car and have a tendency to squabble, that grace would be with them. Paul ends his letter saying, grace be with you. Again, he ends uh, Colossians in much the same way that he began. It's almost like bookends to the letter. Colossians 1 verse 2, this is what we looked at at the very beginning of the semester together. Colossians 1 verse 2, he says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Paul begins Colossians with these words, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He ends Colossians with these words, grace be with you. And as we've seen in his letter, that that is one of the great themes, that the grace of Jesus Christ truly would be with us in the same way that Christ is with us in our union with him. That being in Christ would mean that his grace is now with us all the time. In the midst of every temptation and every trial, we have been clothed as Christians with the grace of Jesus. So my question for you and me this morning is, have you received that truly? Do you know the grace of Jesus for you? Or, as we've seen in the book of Colossians, do you have a tendency, just like the Colossian people, to try to add to the gospel? To try to say, well, it it can't be just that simple that I'm forgiven because of Christ's death and resurrection. Don't I have to do it myself? Don't I have to white knuckle it? Don't I have to fall in between these two extremes of just perfectionism and white knuckling it to make myself better or to just give up because perfectionism is too hard and just give in to sin? No, Paul ends by saying, grace be with you the transformative grace of Jesus that only comes through his death on the cross in your place and the power of his resurrection he now is leaving with you. But there's something else about this that I think is also powerful, and it's this, that the same grace that Paul knew is the same grace that he's imparting to us. The same Jesus that met Paul on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is the same Jesus that if you're a Christian this morning now dwells in you. Imagine that. The same Jesus who met Paul on the road to Damascus is the same Jesus that you now have dwelling inside you who has taken up residence in you through the gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the power of grace with you? But it's not just that we have grace with us as individuals. 
it's that this grace now unites us together. We've also seen in the book of Colossians how being united to Jesus as individuals means that we're now united to Jesus together as a community. That was true for the Colossian church, it's true for us as well, that if you are a Christian, it means that the people around you on the pew, the men around you, are not just friends or acquaintances, they are brothers in Christ. And the same Jesus that was in Paul, that's now in you, is in them, is in all of us who follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And I think this is what makes the end of Colossians actually so powerful. Because if you're paying attention, you'll notice that on your sheet, there's more than just verse 18, right? And it's a long list of people that Paul says, hey, I, I want you to know about these people. Kind of, again, ending a letter, he's saying, hey, go say hi to so-and-so for me. <laughs> Before I let you go, would you pass this word along? And again, it would be easy to glaze over and say, none of this, this, this is just kind of filler. But it's not. Let me show you why. Again, this is how Paul ends. Verse 7, he talks about a man named Tychicus. It's a fun word to say. He says, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. We know from that line that Tychicus must have been there with the letter. This courier, the one who's hand delivering this letter to the Colossian church. Paul goes out of his way to say he's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. In verse nine, he then talks about Onesimus. And we know that this man has a past. He was a slave. You can read more about him in the book of Philemon. This man who was a runaway slave, Paul says, is a faithful and beloved brother, and he's one of you. And then he talks about a man named Aristarchus, verse 10, my fellow prisoner. How many of you have ever heard of Aristarchus? Probably none of you. And yet this man was also imprisoned on account of Christ alongside the Apostle Paul. A man none of us have ever heard of, yet written right here in the book of Colossians, giving his life for the gospel. He goes on and talks about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Who's Mark? He wrote the gospel of Mark. He continues and talks about Epaphras in verse 12. He says, who is one of you, a servant of Christ? He then goes on and talks about in verse 14, a man named Luke, who's a beloved physician. Who's Luke? He wrote the gospel of Luke. Each one of these brothers in Christ shares the same Christ that you and I share. The same grace that Paul imparts to us, he imparts to them the same Christ that Mark knew and recorded in his gospel as a, as a writer for the apostle Peter. The same Christ that Luke as a historian and physician recorded is the same Christ that you and I hear 2,000 years later. And with each one of these, what we see is this, that the body of Christ and our union with Christ transcends so much because of these men, only a handful had a background of being Jews. The other were Gentiles. Of these men, you have those who are in prison, those who used to be in prison. 
You have a courier, a physician, a way that Christ transcends culture and past and background, not to mention the least of which is the Apostle Paul himself, who is a Pharisee of Pharisees and a persecutor of the Christian church. So when Paul says grace be with you, he means it. This grace that transcends ethnicity and background, zip code and past, this grace that has the power to change the most hardened sinner. Because if it can change the apostle Paul, it can change you and me. Paul ends by saying grace be with you. How big is your view of Jesus Because however big or small your view of Jesus will determine however big or small your view of his grace is for you. His grace has power. Power to change you. Power to transform you. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead. The same power that is now ours in incarnation. These are Paul's parting words. I write this with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. It's my prayer for my girls this morning. I wrote a letter to them. It's my prayer for you and me as we conclude this letter together. That The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would truly be ours and that we would walk in that grace today, tomorrow, and until Christ comes again. Let me pray for you and send you to your groups. Father, we thank you for the apostle Paul. We thank you for his witness, not only recorded here in his letter to the Colossian church, but we thank you for his witness and his life, and his story. We thank you for Luke, the beloved physician who wrote the book of Acts, who recorded Paul's conversion for us, so that we would know that this man who was a persecutor of the church, that you saw fit to redeem and to save, that you, Jesus, would visit him on the road to Damascus so that he would be a missionary, and he would, through him, he would give us this letter for our benefit. Lord, we pray this morning you would help us to see that you, Jesus, have also visited us, that you have come to us. You've come to us in, in, your, in the manger as a small baby 2,000 years ago. We know that one day you are coming again. Until that day comes, we know that you are coming to us even now. And so we pray that you would work among us, the Holy Spirit, you would work in these groups And that we would leave the letter to the Colossians and we would leave this study in this semester with a more deeper and profound understanding of the grace that you, Jesus, have given to us through your death and resurrection. The kind of grace that forgives the darkest sin and the kind of grace that changes us and makes us new. We pray for that sovereign grace this morning. For more and more of it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Good to be with you. Glad to spend the semester together again January the 18th. We'll see you right here in the sanctuary again. Go to your groups, and then we'll see you next year.